My name is Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you're listening to episode 107 of Cinepunks. 107. I feel like every episode after 100, I want to say it like it's some sort of epic 110. 122. <laughs> Make no mistake, every episode that happens is pretty epic just by happenstance of who we are and what it is that we do. Oh, I mean, we're epic individuals, but I we I, are. But I understand that, like, we can't pretend every episode. This is the thing about podcasting, right? I was listening to um, the 500th episode of My Brother, My Brother, and Me, and they were saying the thing about podcasting is, let's say you have the best episode ever. Like, let's say you do a live show, right? And the live show was killer, and it's the best one you've ever done, and it's so crazy. That's like really great. You still have to put an episode out next week. Yeah, that's you true. Know, you still have like, to keep the party going. Yeah, so like them doing episode 500, they were like, yeah, it's so cool. Guess what? Then we have to do 501. Like yeah. it, it just has to happen. Like you can't – maybe not – you know, we're not weekly, but but any podcast that's going to occur regularly, you can never be like, well, we did it unless you're ending. <laughs> you know, yeah. like if it's over, it's over. But if you plan to do it continuously, then you got to be like, that was cool. What are we doing? What's the next one again? You know what I mean? So yeah, but uh, who every, every number sounds forward, huge you know to I mean? me. Who, Exactly. Yeah, right. It should be. It's fucking awesome, man. Like, dude, who doesn't want to be looking forward? Who doesn't want to be like, oh man, that was the best. Remember when we did all that dope shit? It's like, nah, man. Like, the next episode's always got to be the one that you're pumped on. You know right. what I mean? Because right. like, what's the point otherwise? It's like if you wrote a song and it's the best song ever, it still only takes three minutes to sing if you're writing epics. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, yeah. then what? Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Not us, buddy. Not us. We're not. We're not cut from that cloth, my friend. I just want you to know. Oh, I'm I I'm I'm well aware. Uh, I get that you're fully aware. I think I think uh, I do have to say I don't know. I, sometimes I think we're cut from the other cloth, which is trying to get it together to get the next one done. Yeah, but, man. But, I mean, like, but that's but the we, whole thing. It's a cavalcade. It's like this yeah. moving forward trash heap. <laughs> but you we really I mean? appreciate you, the listener, for coming back for 107, and hopefully you'll continue <laughs> to join us into the 200s. Into the two hundred and seventh episode of Cinepunk. <laughs> uh, so, so what's, what's been going on with you, Liam? Oh man, uh, not a whole lot actually. We, uh, for people who don't know, we we uh, me and Doug got our our uh, new show, Cinema Smorgasbord, off the ground. That's been a lot of fun, especially because they're they're short episodes, which I think is uh, a preferred uh, thing for Doug it, it, because. Uh, he doesn't feel like he's on the phone with me for three hours, so that's good. Um, but yeah, I, I I think it's been fun to have something that we we do quick Johns and it changes constantly. And sometimes he hosts and sometimes I host, so that's been pretty neat. And we've been pretty good about like the show is never current. You know, like on this show, we occasionally are like, "Here's what we did recently." That show that never happened. So like we've had a day where we recorded like three episodes. You know, because it was you just. All right, we're talking about this. Okay, now we're talking about this. Okay, now we're talking about this. And then, like, that's so nice to, like, have that pressure off. So that's been really good. Um, I will say, though, the Jackie Chan one, you know, we're going of, – of the ones about particular actors, that's the only show we're going in chronological order. And, oh, oh man, early Jackie Chan is a real – 
fucking slog. It's real yeah, tough. Yeah, it's hard. Man. We just we just recorded today uh, episode on the Golden Lotus, which is this like epic sex book from ancient China, and it's really important to Chinese culture. And the movie we watched, which stars a very young Jackie Chan, I say star, he's like a side bit in it. It's supposedly like the most faithful adaptation that's ever existed or one of the most, but it's painful and it's not sexy. Like this is what sucks about anything that's supposed to be erotic art is if it's not erotic, there's never enough of the art to make it still worth your while. You know what I mean? Like, so wait, so this is like a Jackie Chan porno. Uh, well, to be fair, Jackie Chan has another movie that is not quite a porno, but he does a sex scene in it. It's He's only done two sex scenes ever, and he has one sex scene in the next movie we're covering. In this film, he doesn't – he's just a he's just a, a guy who sells stuff on the street. But this is a sex movie. It's explicit. The sex is not sexy. <laughs> it's, not, it, it's not terrible. I don't want to make it sound like the movie's the worst thing ever. But it's just like – if you don't find the intrigue intriguing and you don't find the sexiness sexy, then you realize there's really not much to keep you interested in the film. Right. Wow. Sounds like not a good time. I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, if anyone out there just wants to know what a uh, 70s period sex film that is, it, it could get a G rating probably. No, that's not true. It would still get an R in, in America except for one scene that's particularly upsetting. But except for that, it's it's really just an R-rated film. But it's just, yeah, it's it's only for those who are like obsessive completists who are like, I must see everything Jackie <laughs> Chan has done. Brutal. That's a lot. That's a lot of pressure, regardless how, of how not pressure. You how have you been, is. sir? I've been busy. I've been busy, man. I just got back from Chicago this week. I was uh, at the C2E2 convention, the Chicago Comics and Entertainment Expo. And uh, I was there with Cause Cards, uh, that being the new venture for Mr. Mark Beamer and Nathaniel Shannon, two uh, renowned photographers from the uh, aggressive music scene of the East Coast. And um, yeah, I was out there at a comic book convention amongst my tribe, amongst my peoples, and it was a good time. Um, we uh, basically are taking portraits of cosplayers who are playing particular uh, characters from comic books and other nerd ephemera. There were a couple TV show people and a couple other. And what, what we're doing is we're um, creating a cosplayer card collection, much like a baseball card collection. But instead of having uh, baseball players, it's going to have superheroes as played by cosplayers who go to these conventions and dressed up as you know superheroes. So um, it was pretty great. Basically, what happened was Nathaniel and uh, Mark were set up. So they were taking portraits of their like real ass cameras that they use because they're photographers. And I was in charge of walking around on the convention floor with a flyer for our booth, handing them out to people that were dressed very nicely and just being like, hey, man, you look really good. You should come over to our booth and have your portrait taken. You might end up in a deck of cards of superheroes for next year. And um for the most part, it was really fun just walking around. I mean, Liam, what's your history with like comic book conventions? Have you gone to comic book conventions in the past? 
I think we talked about it on this show that my first experience with comic book conventions was when I was uh, working with a friend of the show, Josh Goldblum, for the Bruce Campbell Horror Film Fest. That was connected to Wizard World. And so ah. I got to go to Wizard World Chicago. I had never been to a comic book convention before. Of course, the first one I ever went to, Brian Yin was there. So that's not a surprise. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just showed up and uh, was kind of amazed. I had never seen anything like it, especially the extensiveness of the cosplay the ridiculousness of the stuff that was for sale the um expense of lightsabers all these things were just amazing things to me that i didn't know about the the everyone getting those weird jars of mead or whatever the whole thing was a was a different kind of experience it's fascinating isn't it just as a sociological thing like it is magnificent to be held I mean, I don't know. I had a there like there were a couple instances, and I'm going to apologize right now if uh, any of these people are listening, where I misread a person's cosplay. To which, of uh, course, you did. Oh man, you know one of the things this one gentleman had a very long duster coat, like a trench coat, and he had long black hair and a backwards baseball hat and a beard. And I said, "Hey man, great Silent Bob cosplay. You should come to our booth and take your picture." And the dude said to me, I'm not dressed like anything. See, now here's the thing. Here's what you don't know. I, oh, you just uh, fucking, you yeah, fucking insulted that guy. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah, I did that shit. Here's the thing, right? So there, I'm old hat at this convention thing because I've been doing the New York Comic Con for like the past five or six years with Beamer. And uh, we had been doing um, the Shirts for a Cure, which was a nonprofit organization that sold nerd t-shirts. And all the profits went to go pay for um, comfort meds for women in five different uh, cancer treatment facilities of impoverished areas throughout the country. And uh, basically, it was to pay for the medication that they needed to like deal with going through breast cancer treatment chemotherapy in the first place. So it's like an anti-nauseal. It's like all like the ancillary kind of medications. That was like a nonprofit organization. This is an entirely different beast, right? So this is more of like we're hoping to see that this becomes like a business kind of thing. And uh, so far it's going really well. Like it went really well. We got a whole bunch of portraits and all that stuff. But um, that's the thing. There's a little game that we always play at these conventions called Cosplay or Came That Way. Now. In New York City, the game of cosplay or came that way at the New York Comic Book Convention is a little bit easier because people who go to New York Comic Book Convention go all out. They go wild. Not that people in Chicago don't go wild, but I think that just the average street style in Chicago is a little bit more different than what we are used to here on this East Coast. I'm going to say that. So the game of cosplay or came that way at the Chicago Comic Book Convention, a little bit more difficult. Then cosplayer yeah. came that way in New York City. Just saying. Yeah, um, I, I would. I would. I my experience at Wizard World was that I only assumed someone was cosplay if they had gone full cartoon character. You know what I mean? Like I never knew. I wouldn't assume anyone was cosplay until they were totally mythical figure or had altered their body or totally ass out like those are my only cues like okay this this person is definitely cosplaying right now oh my god yeah and it would be such an easy thing to figure out right one would think but no there was definitely a couple instances when i misread a cosplay in the sense of like oh hey man are you playing falsa doom from conan the barbarian a james earl jones character to which the person said to me no i'm a drag queen 
I was like, oh. Okay, that's man. that's good. That especially as someone who's familiar with drag queens, that's on you, buddy. You really fucked but, uh, that one up, dude. The thing is, this person had a fur cape on. I thought that's exactly what Tulsa Doom looked like, and it was just like no, you know, it was one no, of those. This uh, is on you. Whatever. Yeah. There, there's nothing you yeah, can say boy. right now to save yourself. No, it was bad. It was bad. I just had to be like, well, you look beautiful, and I'll see you later. So yeah, there are a couple instances of that. Also, I will admit to you that um. I was issued by my beautiful wife, Melani, a diet hall pass for the weekend that I was in Chicago. Sure, sure. Allow me to tell you, dear listener, your boy has not had bread, nary not one grain of rice, not a noodle. I haven't had any carbs for a year and a month. And that's how I've managed to go on this weight loss journey. But given the hall pass on the diet. Okay, you cheat sometimes. But admit, Liam, it's like really rare. Yeah, sure. It's like maybe I had like a cream puff one time that was like, oh, well, I'm going to just eat this one. But, you know, so then I did. But this time, though, I didn't even bring my dietary supplements with me. Oh, you just went full whatever. Yeah, dude, I went we went to Kuma's Corner. Big up to Kuma's Corner West Loop. Just saying you guys are the best. And uh, I had the Slayer Burger. And that, my friends, is a 12-ounce burger on a bed of french fries that's covered in chili and cheese. And guess what? Nothing left over. Ate the whole goddamn thing. I, I, pref- I prefer I, I prefer the Lair of the Minotaur. The Lair of the Minotaur. I think Nathaniel got that one, and uh, Beamer got the Neurosis Burger. Yo, that place is majestic. That's all I'm saying. It was so much fun. And I was also... Given that I had the diet hall pass, I was indulging in the carbs that come in alcohol. That's right, beer. So I've been drinking beer this whole weekend. And man, let me tell you, at Kuma's West Loop, they had old-fashioned cocktails. The old-fashioned, which is like, I think, a whiskey drink. I don't know. They have that shit on tap. So they were just pouring them shits, and I was drinking them. And it was, oh my goodness. Oh my god, Liam. It was awesome. Like, here's, I, here's my only question to you. Go ahead. Were you also exercising during this time? Oh, hell no. I went, so we got an Airbnb in Chinatown. Uh, It was 20 degrees every morning, which is when I've been running. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, no, Chinatown in Chicago is a little different than Chinatown in Philadelphia. That's all I'm going to say. It's a little bit closer to Judgment Night, if you've seen this movie. Sure, uh, sure. I I don't issue any judgments myself. I'm just saying there are a lot of striking similarities. I mean, you do live in Cash Money, Kenzo, so it's not like you're trying to look down on anybody. I live around the corner from a dog park with a lot of dogs. That's all I'm going to let you know. Um, So, yeah, so... I don't know. Chicago Comic Con was awesome. I had a really, really fun time. I saw a lot of shit that I didn't think I was going to see. I drank everything. I ate everything. I did have stuffed crust pizza the first night that we were there and lost my goddamn mind. It was awesome. It was so good. And um, I didn't buy any comic books because, you know, we were working the whole time. I didn't really get a chance to get anything or see anybody. Like, I didn't get a chance to get any autographs, any pictures, or anything like that. But they had a lot of it. And um, we hope to return to the next one. So, you know, that was a whole lot of fun. Man, another well, thing. So here's another thing that wait, I've been doing. Wait, really wait, 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 wait. We haven't. We're, we're we're it's starting to feel like a different segment of the show, if you know what I'm saying. So before we do that, oh okay, yeah. Before we do that, let's <laughs> go ahead and uh, do the two things we got to do. One is thanks to everybody who supports us on Patreon. We have two new Patreon supporters, uh, Sophia and Linda Lore, who I believe 
is Justin's mom. Maybe not. Maybe not. But it might be. Uh, so uh, big up to y'all for supporting uh, the network. We really appreciate you. Um, and I just want to say I know that uh, a couple people on the Patreon have commented on wanting some more from us. Uh, not just Patreon stuff, but just wanting more show. You know, me and Josh are, are kind of on a monthly schedule right now. And that's not a plan. That's just how life is. Uh, so we just want to acknowledge that and be like, yo, we're trying it's tough. We're going to try to get it done for y'all because we know y'all want more content from us, and we appreciate you even wanting to hear our voices. Uh, Honestly, we, I'm, I'm thoroughly confused that anyone listens to us. That's uh, just being don't, completely don't honest with it. you. Don't say it. I, I mean, maybe I shouldn't say it, but uh, just pretend like it's normal. It. Yeah, 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 yeah. Most people try to have me shut up. That's typically how things like go in conversation. But We also, hey. of course, want to thank LVAC for their support. Go to xlvacx.com. Uh, check out all the stuff that they can screen print for you. Whatever it is you need, they got you. They've always been big supporters. They've tried to support us in a lot of different ways, and so we love them. And then I think we want to – there's something we need to do, right? And I'm trying to remember what it is. what it is. It's, I um, mean, it's like a thing that we do on every episode, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, every episode – yeah. yeah, we stop and we pretend like we don't know what it is. Yeah, and then we pretend to just kind of fumble over the words that lead up to the thing that we do. Yeah, and then at the every same time we say, Whack it on track! track! I love it so much! <laughs> so, Liam, what have you done lately that is whack, bad, and or on track, good? Well, that's a, that's a very good question. Um have we the problem i will say for the most part y'all the not getting to record regularly doesn't affect us too much because me and josh love each other but it does get hard for the whack and i'll track because i'm like when was the last time we even talked what have i done since the last time that we talked to each other here's the thing though liam you're like one of like a very few people that i genuinely talk to every day via text or otherwise phone calls sure which, sure listening public you should know liam thinks it's weird when i call people on the phone <laughs> um I do think it's weird. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm just know, not. I had a discussion about it today with uh, one of my millennial friends at work. Yeah. And I was like, do you believe that my friend Liam thinks that when I call him, it's always obviously for some type of emergency to which said friend at work was like, yeah, who the fuck calls people on a phone? Yeah. I mean, okay. Let me clarify here. I'm not a total millennial because I actually hate texting because I hate typing with my thumbs. Whereas millennials have accepted this as like a real thing that humans should just adapt to. I'm like, this is stupid technology and I hate it. Um, (laughs) But my thing with the phone is just I'm most of the time busy and I'm busy in ways in which the phone would interrupt what I'm doing. So I don't think it's just in the sense of an emergency, though I do think you should probably call for an emergency. But <laughs> I uh, I think when you call, it's either for, A, an emergency, B, something that is delicate enough that texting would feel weird. There's just some things. I know millennials will text like, hey, dad died. Like, that's how they do their life. <laughs> that's not me. If, 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 if you had that sort of serious thing, I'd prefer not to get it over text. I'd rather talk to you about something that serious. And then three, you're... I think it is fine to call someone just to chat. That's something that I don't do much of anymore um, because it just feels like no one does that much anymore. Uh, And I miss it. And I think that even though it is awkward for me to do it, I actually think I should talk to people on the phone more just to catch up, just to say, how are you doing? Whatever, whatever. But you call me so often with a short question 
from which you need a short answer, which is the literal definition of what texting is for. Ah, but the, this is all predicated on the notion that I'm also not calling just to hear your beautiful voice because I miss you because you're one of my best friends in the world. I get that. I totally get that. I just think you should save it for when you're like, I have time to just sit around and talk. Because yeah, I, you know I don't want to do it for five short. minutes. Nothing is promised us. Life is Stop. short. Stop. And I like just hearing Liam be like, what do you want from me? Like, I love that shit. That's my <laughs> favorite shit. So okay. that's why okay. I call you every day. This doesn't actually fit what we were talking about, though, which is that we record so rarely that I have to like work hard to remember in the month since we talked, what have I done that is cool? And usually I just talk about a couple of stupid things. And then later I remember, oh yeah, I went to a whole other place. So like <laughs> we've recorded since San Francisco, right? Or not? No. We haven't recorded since San Francisco. San Francisco is the last one, right? We talked about the conversation uh, and we talked about. Uh, yeah. So, bullet. OK, so we have talked once since I got back from San Francisco, but we haven't talked about anything in the rest of February. So one thing I did do was see Birds of Prey. Ah, yay! I just finished watching it again on my second time. Actually, What did you think? I liked it. I like it. And um. You know, so something that happens a lot on this show and and on the internet in general is people accuse me of not liking fun. I get this a lot, uh, particularly because I think the Fast and Furious movies are stupid, and so then and people... also because you don't like fun. But go on. <laughs> but the, okay, name one example of me not liking fun other than Fast and Furious. Um. Hey Liam, what do you think about music that is poppy and punk at the same time? Um, I really enjoy Lifetime. <laughs> uh huh. Lifetime. That's it. That's the only one. Gray area. Nothing. Huh? Uh, you know what? I I do need to re-listen to Gray Area. I did. I was a huge okay. Gray Area okay. fan. I've never been above Gray Area. Um, your your penchant for other bands that pull their socks to their knees is a weird thing I'll never understand. <laughs> you know okay. what I mean? Your your whole Southern California bro punk is not really my my vibe. Okay, now the implication there is that I'm a Pennywise fan, and I just want to say only Justin Harlan likes Pennywise. So <laughs> that, that that doesn't count for me. I don't okay. know if that counts for, for – yeah. But the thing about Birds of Prey is, for me, that's a perfect example of a movie that I understand has flaws. And people are always like, oh, the pacing at the beginning is a little off, and I thought that not all the time stuff worked. And I'm like, yeah, intellectually I understand what you're saying. I did not give a fuck the entire film. I had fun from moment one to moment done. It was so fucking fun. Now, I won't say it was so fucking great because it's a corny movie. It's silly. But that's fine. It's a movie about – uh, Harley Quinn. I don't need a deep, sort of involved cultural analysis film about Harley Quinn. I needed her to say silly, fun stuff and hurt people. And uh, I needed the core. What, what I didn't know I needed is I needed the choreography to be brilliant, and that's what it was. This was oh, glorious. This was cartoony fight choreography that was still brutal, and that's what I needed. It was so good. It was fucking great. Uh, yeah, the choreography is amazing. I thought Mary Elizabeth Winstead for such a weirdly whoop, innocuous character whoop. was really good. She brings a lot that, to the few moments she's on screen. Yeah, and like I love the Huntress character anyway, you know what I mean? So it was cool yeah. to see that. Yeah. I really love Rosie Perez. What I, I thought she was really Rosie strong. Perez? I thought she was I love really strong. Rosie Perez. Yeah, she's awesome in that movie. And Black Canary. Who's the young lady who plays Black Canary? Oh, uh, that is uh, Smollett. You might, oh, yeah. you might know her for two things. One, her brother 
either got beat up or faked being beat up. Or two, she started her career. Actually, I don't even know if this is the start of her career, but one of her first films was uh, was uh, Eve's Bayou. Oh, yeah, she was yeah. a little girl. She in was Eve's the, Bayou. Oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. I, I will love her that. for. I know that she's done a bunch of stuff I don't care about since then, but I will love her forever simply for that. And now she's in this movie. That's two like great things, you know? Like yeah, no, she was awesome, man. She was so fun. Yeah, and that's the thing though about these DC movies, right? Like they just seem like. Just like the Zack Snyder Justice League or, or whatever, yeah. like all the other things, they just seem to have such low stakes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's nothing ever at risk, which I guess, is there anything at risk in any comic book movie? Probably not. But I mean, like the DC world, the DC universe in particular, never seems to have that much at risk in general, sure. which is why it's kind of hard for me to really like dig in the way I've dug into like Marvel movies or any other comic book movies or whatever. But uh, that said, even with the low stakes in this movie... I had so much fun. I didn't care. I, for, you know, I'm actually mostly a hater on the DC films. I think Wonder Woman is actually pretty good until the end, and the end almost ruins the movie for me. Uh, and Aquaman was silly, and it, it didn't bum me out. But other than that, the DC movies have been not okay. And it's crazy to me that like this came out so close to Joker when it's like kind of attached to the idea of Joker because of who Harley Quinn is, and yet this was like awesome and joker was a fucking well it wasn't even like joker was that bad but it just wasn't what i wanted and this is so much what i wanted that it just was funny to watch them so close together you know yeah yeah i'd agree i'd agree i thought margot roby was really good i thought the young asian lady was pretty awesome and i thought the villains i thought the the what's his name is the villain and the two villains were awesome like they had this whole low-key misogyny thing down so good well it's not really low-key kind of attacks women but you know what i mean like (laughs) this this undercurrent thing going between them where you're like do are they fucking like what's happening right now that like yeah i I thought it was really good i loved it yeah agreed totally loved it yeah so birds of prey uh as far as other newer films i think that's the last thing i saw in the theater i haven't really gotten out too much since we last recorded unfortunately um i've watched a couple things at home i saw that you watched daniel isn't real which you didn't like definitely watched daniel isn't real i'm not so sure if i liked it per se Hmm. um it was just just fine i don't know there there's a lot of things about the i i know you guys loved it um Apologies to you and Justin Lore for not really liking it so much because it was very much like the Fight Club story to me. See, I don't. I to me, nothing about it reminds me of Fight Club whatsoever. Other than it's a the you know there's a, there's two of them. That's it. Other than that, I don't see oh, any. Other than Fight Club, the fact that it's a trapped id that dresses very jauntily inside this. It's kid's literally mind. Yeah. a demon that comes out and does crazy stuff. It's like not even. And it all, and you pretty much know what it is from the beginning. Yeah, no, I wasn't into it. No. I would, I would, I would, uh, I would go to war with you on behalf of Justin Lore, except for Justin Lore didn't like Parasite, so fuck him. I don't. Oh wow, I love Bliss. We, I saw Bliss. Oh yeah, uh, Bliss is very good. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. I really <laughs> thought it was funny that it looked like she was painting a record for relapse, right? Band on relapse, but you know. Well, I mean, the film has like. Uh, Doom Riders and Unsane and, you know, all these songs in there. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else newer I watched that's worth talking about. Uh, Oh, Greener Grass I thought was very good. Uh, Um, I don't know. What is Greener Grass? Oh, man. So Greener Grass is this sort of like um, 
surreal comedy. It's got uh, Jocelyn DeBoer, Don Lube, Beck Bennett, Neil Casey, uh, Mary Holland, Darcy Carden, a bunch of other people who you kind of will see as like a, a bit character actors in other TV shows and stuff. And uh, it is so over the top weird um, and surreal. It's, you know, the, the central sort of story here is there's two couples, right? And the couples are these uh, uber suburban moms and they're very jealous of each other. Hence the title greener grass. You know, the grass is greener for the other person. The one couple is jealous because the woman is clearly into the other woman's husband and is very, very attracted to her husband. Um, partly because at a barbecue once they got their husbands confused and she full on made out with him until he was like, Oh wait, you're not my wife. And he goes to the other woman. The other woman is jealous of her friend, not because of her husband, but because her friend, when she had her baby said, Oh wait, can I just have your baby? And she said, sure, just have my baby. And so now that she gave her baby to her, she's just jealous that she has the baby and she's thinking, maybe I want that baby. So that gives you an idea of the level of surrealness going on here. And that's just their relationship. The whole film is like that. Mocking suburban white culture. uh, Having actual emotional stakes between these characters. While the characters just say insane things and do insane things. Just nothing is... Nothing is literally real, but everything represents something that you know. You know, it's that sort of parody. Where, like, you... There's a truth underneath everything, but people are doing just crazy like airplane style shit you know but with the sort of like like a meta parody but 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 with the sort of cynical sassiness that i associate with uh john waters you know what i mean like that sort of thing so like 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 a like a fucking polyester but but more insane than polyester you know so that's wow that's a lot of insanity yeah um now to be fair is it as good as polyester no but it was very funny and very good and i'm and i've got a made time to watch it uh other than that i've mostly been watching stuff just to catch up with various podcast projects and that's been ranging all over the place uh and then me and suze have been uh we we finished lock and key which i very much enjoyed and we have been catching up with the outsider we're almost totally caught up we're behind by one episode and that's been very very good as well uh and that's about it for me as far as oh one last thing uh one of my another one of my favorite comics has bit the dust east of east of west is officially over um but i i picked up the last issue the heft of the last issue let me know it was over which i again i don't pay attention to comic news so i probably should have known it was over but i had no idea until i got that last issue but it was utterly and completely emotionally satisfying it ended in a way where i thought oh Yes, that is how that should end. Okay, we're good here. I'm good. This is fine. This is Man. this is this is proper. So, yeah, I'm 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 in the market for some new comic books. If you're a Cinepunks listener, you know what I like: East of West, Wicked and Divine, uh, Paper Girls. Uh, well, kind of The Walking Dead. Anything along those lines, you guys want to recommend to me? Don't be like, "Well, the new X Men's good." I get it. I know about that. I know about superhero comics. I'm really just not. That's just not my vibe right now. I'm sorry, y'all. No offense. To you also, whatever you recommend, whatever you recommend to Liam, make sure you don't like the book enough that you'll be uh, surprised when Liam starts reading it and then it ends. Because that seems to be a trend that's happening in the universe, and I don't <laughs> understand why. But uh, just, when Liam I likes the book, him. that's the book that kills. Yeah, that's the book that gets destroyed. So I just kill if him you off. if there's a book that you want to see end, maybe recommend that to Liam, and then that book will end after Liam gets into it. 
Just so you know. that's I don't make the rules, listeners. I do not make the rules. That's just what it is. Josh, what's whacking on track with you before I lose my shit? Oh, man, you've lost your shit, dude. Uh, so for me, um, on track, I've been taking this improv comedy class, which is now finished. Um, so I'm having we we're having our final class recital on uh, the 15th of March, a Sunday at 4 p.m. at Good Good Comedy Theater. And let me tell you something. Um, so originally I had taken this class because I wanted to become a better frontman for my band, Cross Keys. Um, turns out this is utterly worthless in terms of becoming a better frontman for a punk band. And uh, it's most of the value in it is just uh, figuring out how to work interconnectedly with people to create a thing that might or might not be funny. Um, to this end, I'm very grateful to the opportunity that Good Good has, has given me and to my classmates in the, in the class for uh, being able to take it and uh, just kind of work through the motions of it and acquaint myself with improv comedy. Um, super fun. Did not sign up for the intermediate improv comedy class. You don't um, see yourself having a future in improv comedy? Turns out, no, no, I don't think I'm very funny, actually. I think I'm actually very much not funny. I only talk about the Cherry Hill Mall, so whatever. I don't know. I'm, I, it's one of those things where um, the lessons are interesting, but they don't fulfill in the way that I was hoping to be fulfilled. Instead, however, I signed up for the next comedy semester for a class called simply Monologues. It's just a class on taking, oh. um, yeah, boy, on on doing comedic monologues. So uh, that starts on March thirtieth, and uh, six weeks after that, I'll let you know how that went. So um, I, I consider that to be on track. So that's pretty good. Um, a little bit whack, but also kind of on track. My one uh, longtime Cinepunks listeners will know I have a friend that I work with named Shaheem Harris, who is like one of my best friends. I've worked with him for uh, uh, going on nineteen years right now. Uh, Shaheem had this great idea one weekend when we were working together that we should sign up for the Broad Street Run lottery to see if we can get into the Broad Street Run because he sure, wants to run sure. 10 miles. I, fully aware of the fact that I win absolutely nothing in life, I was like, yeah, I'll sign up. There's no way I'm going to win. I'm constitutionally a loser, just categorically. I lose things all the time. I never win any contests. I've played the Super Bowl box thing at work for the past 19 years. And never once have any of my numbers touched a corner or a side or been picked or nothing. I've never won anything any year. I played faithfully every year. So I signed up for the lottery to get into the Broad Street run. Lo and behold, the one time I win a lottery, it's for to get into the Broad Street run. So now Shaheem and, Shaheem and I are going to be running in the Broad Street run. So the end result of this is that I've been waking up at 5 a.m. every morning and running for two miles and it sucks, Liam. It's terrible. I fucking hate it. It's terrible. And I'm, it's like okay, okay, okay. Oh my god, dude, isn't it there is a, but, awful? But isn't the theory that at a point you like get over a hump and then it gets to be not terrible? Uh, that point must be somewhere after one point eight miles, which I can run without stopping now. So I don't know when that point happens. It might be at like mile three or four, but I assure you, it's going to be a while to get there. Here's the thing, Liam. As you had mentioned earlier, I live in the Cash Money Kenzo. The only time that I can run is at 5 in the morning because I have to be at work at 7. And then after work, I have a whole bunch of things I got to do. So I can never, ever just get a good run in after work, nor do I want to run at night. So guess what? The only option then left is that I wake up at 5 and run from like 5.15 to 6 o'clock every morning. Now, Liam, what do you think it's like running from 5 a.m. to 6 o'clock every morning in the Cash Money Kensington? Cold and weird. 
Uh, I've been running with brass knuckles every morning. Just yeah. saying. Yeah. Yeah. That sucks. That's terrible. I don't like it. But also, I have to. Because, you know, I don't, you know, I work in an industry where, you know, the people on the streets happen to get in contact with me a lot, and I don't know what could go wrong. Like, things could go bad. So, I always have to, I'm not a gun dude. I'm not that guy. Shouldn't, I, I, shouldn't you be doing the treadmill at work? Uh, you know what, though? I was doing the treadmill and the elliptical at work thinking, okay, well, I'm going to get the air up this way. So, then when I run in the street, it'll, I'll at least be trained to it. Guess what's completely different and almost seemingly yeah, unrelated yeah. to running in a street? Both the treadmill and the elliptical. Just saying. It sucks. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I've been running every goddamn morning. And uh, I hope that I can finish this Broad Street run in the two and a half hours that they allot you to finish this damn run. So uh, any listeners that are participating in the Broad Street run on May 3rd, uh, find your boy and uh, maybe drag me along with you so that I don't die. Um, maybe bring a defibrillator. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea. But it won't be for lack of trying, Liam. It won't be for lack of trying. That's all I'm going to let you know. So yeah, I'm very proud I'm of a- you for trying this, though. I think I think it's I think it's really uh, <laughs> you're really stretching yourself, and it's really worth doing. It is in the whack column. Let us make no mistake of what side of the line this shit is on. Whack, total whack. So yeah, so that's what I've been doing. Uh, oh, also, Melani went for uh, went to Vegas to go see the RuPaul residency that's happening. She left today with uh, a bunch of my friends' wives and my well, who are also my friends. So, uh, baby girl is uh, away until Sunday or until Monday morning. So, uh, yeah, I'm just home by myself, and me and my dog. So and, you're uh, basically watching sad movies and ordering pizza. Uh, no, pizza has carbs in it. Unless they can make it out of cauliflower for me, I've been eating salad like a sad man. <laughs> yeah, really fun. I mean, it's dual, right? It's low carb, and then I don't have to cook it. So you know, that's just what it is. But man, I don't know. Maybe a wellness check on your boy and that phone thing that you like to not use. All <laughs> so often. Well, I mean, hey, the hop hop on a bus and come up here this weekend. I have to work. It's the uh... worst weekend. But whatever, your boy's gonna be all right. That's all I'm saying. So, so yeah. So for the most part, oh, I did do something on track. Uh, last Tuesday night, my band, the Cross Keys, played a live set on WKDU, the home of uh, Cinepunk's friend and mentor, John Paul Golaski. And uh, it, he wasn't there. He wasn't there. But uh, we played on the radio, and that was really fun. Uh, I really enjoyed doing those like weird live things like that that end up like being aired. And my brother sent me a video of him and my nephew and my niece listening on the radio at my parents' house, and it made me really happy. And uh, I really loved it. And so uh, thanks to WKDU and Garrett and all the people there that let us play. And uh, hopefully we can do that again. Super fun. Totally on track. That seems fun. It was. It was. But the other fun thing that I did was I watched two movies by John Woo this Whoa, week. Whoa, this is our John Woo double feature. Oh, bah, bah, my bah, God. Bah, bah. So I'm not going to lie to you, Liam. The, the, the impetus behind me picking these movies is that I bought the T-shirts and I didn't want to wear them without having seen the movies. So I bought T-shirts from our friends, your friend and mine, Rough Cuts. Oh, and uh, they were of the John Woo double feature, both The Killer and Bullet in the Head. And before I could wear them, I told myself they had to watch these movies, which is why I said I you should that. watch these movies. Man, you know I, hope you, I hope you liked them then since you have T-shirts now. Well, that's the thing. Joey's not a poser, baby. Joey's in. You know, you got to be legit. So I felt that I had to watch these movies before I even wore the shirts. And I can honestly say I'm proud to wear both of these shirts now. Yes. So after the break, 
We're going to get into a John Woo double feature as predicated by the Rough Cuts T-Shirt Club T-Shirt Drop, Bullet in the Head, and The Killer. We'll be right back. with John Woo. What was the thought process that went into you figuring out you wanted to do this drop for a rough cut? Oh, this was actually kind of fun because we haven't ever talked publicly about our process, which like, you know, for those of you who don't know, rough cuts, just me and a friend of the show, Justin Miller. Justin does all the designs. I do most everything else. He does a lot of the Instagram posting too, because he's very controlling of the brand. But uh, when it comes to like ordering shirts and then getting shirts out to people and customer service, which I'm not always great at, uh, that's all me. Uh, and but you know, when we're trying to figure out what to do. That's a really collaborative process, and it's mostly over Facebook Messenger because he lives in Philly and I live up here in the in the valley. So we're just shooting stuff at each other all the time. It's just sort of one of my things. If I'm if I'm uh, not working and I have access to the facebook i'll just be like hey what do you think about doing this or hey what do you think about doing that so we actually started this conversation we were committed in the new year to doing a 90s action double feature that that was the plan but i wanted to go well we, we couldn't decide whether we should go more obscure with like one of these like like a movie like rage remember when we covered rage Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So w- whether we should do something like that that was more direct-to-video obscurity or if we should do something a little more common, like we started talking about doing uh, face-off or doing uh, like bullet in the head because this is before. We were we, we plan – we try to plan. We don't always do it, but we try to plan months and months out. So we already knew we were doing Nick Cage, and we had decided to do face-off. So, so he was like, well – Maybe we'll do Face Off, or maybe we'll do this 90s movie, or maybe we should do whatever. And that got us talking about Hong Kong action. And we were like, well, we should just do a John Woo. And I said we should do Hard Boiled. He's like, well, Hard Boiled is an 80s movie. It's not a 90s movie. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If we're doing a John Woo double feature, then we just do any John Woo movies. It doesn't have to be 90s John Woo. I said, in fact, 
I don't even prefer 90s John Woo. I kind of prefer 80s John Woo to, to 90s John Woo because a lot of 90s movies are his American movies. Uh, I don't love the American movies that much. I actually think uh, I think his Hong Kong output, output is far, far, far superior. And so that got us talking, and then he's like, well, then let's do The Killer and uh, Bullet in the Head. And I said, all right. I, I kind of actually saw The Killer and Hard Boiled as the obvious choice, but he kind of felt like Hard Boiled was like such an obvious choice, you know? And if we want to do John Woo again, it might make sense to match Hard Boiled with a different movie. You know what I mean? Like maybe we'll do Hard Boiled and A Better Tomorrow or Hard Boiled and, uh, you know, Mission Impossible 2. <laughs> what, what was your exposure to John Woo? Uh, I just knew that it got mentioned in the 36 Chambers, Enter the 36 Chambers, where uh, uh, Method Man wants his killer tape back. And, you know. <laughs> he didn't get it uh and uh i didn't know what it was so um when i looked it up it was like oh the john woo movie the killer and then um i think i saw the killer first because it's like oh wow that's a nutty 90s asian gangster movie and i was like yeah okay i'm about that like let's do it and uh i enjoyed it and uh, i think i saw that and hard boiled like at the same weekend kind of thing when i was in college and uh even though i don't remember hard boiled as well i do remember seeing the killer when we watched it for this episode and then i just finished bullet in the head yesterday and let me tell you there's a lot to unpack in there that's a lot that's yeah, a heavy yeah. movie heavy movie yeah um i got i got to thank friend of the show uh richie roja rojas <laughs> uh because uh uh, he so you know that I met Richie when we were in college. We went to Rutgers and Camden yes. together, and we were both in the same East Asian history class. And as part of our East Asian history class, our professor did like a series of films that were like, you know, uh, current Hong Kong cinema, which is not that current, but you know what I mean, like what's going on in Hong Kong cinema. And he showed the killer on thirty five millimeter what? at Rutgers at Rutgers and Camden. And I didn't know what it was, but Richie, because he's always been cooler than me in every way, was like, oh, my God, we have to go to this. It's so good. And I'm like, what? What is it? I've never – he's like, it's so good. You have to go. And I'm like, it's like Kung Fu. And he's like, no, it's not. You'll see. And uh, and then after watching that, it just blew my world apart because my exposure to uh, Asian cinema was mostly martial arts. With a couple of horror movies that had snuck in here and there. Mm. But for the most part, martial arts. And that was expansive. It wasn't just Shaw Brothers. It was also uh, Golden Harvest and Jackie Chan and Samuel Hung. And uh, you know, and some of the comedies like The Gambling Ghost and stuff like that. But uh, nothing about action cinema, as John Woo defined it, had ever you know, beamed past my eyeballs. And so here I am. It's 1998. Uh, me and Richie are hanging out. He's like, we're going to go to this thing. And I went with Richie and it just blew my mind apart. <laughs> I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. It was awesome. And after that, I was like, all right, well, that's it. You know, like, <laughs> I guess this is the thing we're into now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, every John Woo I could find until, until I really started to see more of his American stuff and not enjoy it. I was stoked on John Woo. Mm. Uh, I know he had other, he by the time I saw the killer, he had some American stuff going on, so I was just out of the loop. But when I realized they were the same guys, and then the movies just started to go downhill, in my opinion, that I was like, "Oh, I don't know what happened to him." When all his Hong Kong stuff is so dang good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what movies would you say would be fall off points for John Woo? Because, like, again, I, I like Face oh, Off. I, I, I enjoyed. I, fucking... I, don't, I don't. 
I don't like Mission Impossible 2. I actually think that's the beginning of the end. Of the Mission Impossible franchise? No, of John Wood. Oh, oh, oh. You're still on board no, with fact, the rest of say, the Mission Impossible franchise, though, right? I mean, 3 is okay. I would say there's a big dip between 1 and 4, and then 4, 5, and 6 have all been pretty pretty good. Pretty amazing, right? Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. Whew. I didn't. I didn't, the reason I didn't see four in the theater was because I thought three was like, I mean, I think uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is great. Right. He's great. Yeah. I love Philip Seymour Hoffman. The rest of the movie's trash. <laughs> and I, I hear people defend it all the time. Y'all are wrong. You're also wrong, Ed Travis, to defend Mission Impossible 2. The movies go Mission Impossible, which is a reasonably good uh, De Palma movie. Uh, De Palma movie. It, and and it has what makes it good is all the De Palma-ness and none of the Mission Impossible-ness. <laughs> and then. Two and three are trash. Not trash. I'm being harsh, but I, I don't think they're very good. And then four just is like, wait, what happened? Why is this good? What what What's going on here? Where did this come from? And then I think four, five, and six, again, none of these are like amazing movies, but they're very good and fun and, and an example of me actually enjoying fun movies. All right. I'll give you that. I'll, I even say seven was amazing. Just saying. Henry Cavill, come well, on. This is the shit. Oh, yeah, seven with him. No, you're right. I just lost track of the numbers. Yes, four, five, six, and seven have all been enjoyable. Super fun. To various levels. I mean, I, I think I think five is actually way better than four in some ways, which I know is controversial. But uh, but back to John yeah. Wick. Sorry. So speaking of action movies that are, in fact, not fun but are awesome, <laughs> The Killer. Yeah. The Killer is one of the most serious action movies you could ever watch, and yet – still manages to have some humor and fun in it. It's just not, it's, you know, there are parts of Mission Impossible, to make a direct comparison, or maybe a better comparison would be something like Die Hard, where you picture people on set, like, high-fiving. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, being like, yeah, that was was awesome. Yeah. And the killer is a lot of fun in some ways, but in other ways it's like, Yo, this is art, you motherfucker. Like this is for real. Like this is about brotherhood. All right, this is about honor. Every single action sequence could be personified by an epic high five once you finish shooting it. Every single action sequence in this movie—that's fair. Like, dude, everything's beginning from him shooting at the lady's eyeballs to like the very end of the two people just crawling blind. It all looks fun as fuck. Despite the severity, but, but of it's the, not. Of the but it's context. so severe, though. Yeah. I mean, I think it's telling that Wu really, uh, when John Wu was talking about this movie, he's really said that his biggest inspirations are *The Samurai*, which uh-huh. okay, yeah, yeah, totally, and *Mean Streets*. Okay, that that was what he was trying to do was combine that that those not just those two movies, but those two directors even. Uh, and I and I and I, and in a sense, it is that. Although I will say the action. Is all him. I don't care who he wants to. I don't care who anyone wants to point to. John Woo's action choreography is entirely his own. And if you're a younger person, you haven't watched a John Woo film yet, and you watch one of these movies, you go, oh, I don't know. It reminds me of whatever. Whatever you're going to say just ripped off John Woo. Yeah. Like, the, no one was doing. No one was like, all right, so uh, the bad guys come in through the window. Let's have our good guy leap through the air with two guns but we'll shoot it in slow motion and we'll just have explosions everywhere. Just little explosions everywhere. While he leaps, does he leap forwards or backwards? You, we'll have him go forward the first time then backwards the second uh, time. It's so majestic. Well, how, how so does the beautiful. physics of that work? Well, you know what, Tom? The physics of it don't work. Get the fuck off my set. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, There's no moment in this movie where you go, oh yeah, that's how that would happen. Like, 
everything about his films, and I think The Killer is the most serious example of that. I, I, you know, parts of Better Tomorrow 2, not that Better Tomorrow 2 is an upbeat film, but there are parts that are just over-the-top ridiculous. The Killer, every action scene, to me, is majestic. It is. It has a dignity to it. There's just, like, a, a beauty, you know? It's like, it's, it, you know... Until the church, there's no actual, like, doves flying through. But every action scene, you're like, oh, this is the part where the dove flies by when it blows up the table. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. just all. It's so okay, good, so let's, It's so fun. Let's, and that's the thing. Let, oh, go ahead. Let's just do the. Let's just do the. Okay, so The Killer came out. Uh, actually, came out in Hong Kong in 1989. I think of it as a 90s movie because I, that's when it really came to America. But it's actually a 1989 film. Mm. Um, and it was after some of the other movies that people really consider iconic John Woo films, Hard Boil, Better Tomorrow, Better Tomorrow 2. Um, but to me, this is the most John Woo movie because it has all of that over-the-top action and the humor of Ch- Chow Yun-Fat, who's just fucking charming as Dude, Chow Yun-Fat is so cool in this movie. He oh did the first sequence when he's walking around with that white scarf. He looks like a pet shop boy. He looks like one of the pet shop boys. And I'm all about it. I was like, yo, this dude is a badass. It's so tough. I think um, it, it's uh, it's crazy how he just created this persona. Like, this is just, I mean, I, it probably also was limiting, I guess, in some ways. Maybe he had trouble getting other kinds of work. But this is, when I think of Chow Yun-Fat, I think of the killer. I think of him as mm. this. Uh, charming rogue who is dealing with his own sense of guilt. In a weird way, this film has Catholic themes. Though I would say that those Catholic themes are probably because John Woo likes Scorsese. More than <laughs> that John Woo is interested in Catholicism. In Catholicism <laughs> and the, the breakdown of Judeo-Christian dogma in terms of violence and uh, guilt. Oh, you know what? That's funny. I say that, and then I'm reading uh, the Wikipedia, and Wikipedia informs me that John Woo identifies as a Christian, though he's had to to clarify that the religious imagery in the film is aesthetic, and he does not consider The Killer a religious film. Though I will say, if you're actually a Christian, and you make a movie like The Killer, and then you tell me it's not religious, I tell you, you are not self-aware, my friend. Yeah, you are not telling the truth. Yeah. This is a film about redemption, and it is a film about the limits of violence, even as it is a film celebrating violence. Yeah. So, sorry, buddy, <laughs> you can't you can't have them shooting up in a church and have him, you know, crawling in the dirt at the end and, and have me not draw religion. So, so that's the thing. Let's talk. Let's talk about what this movie is about. This movie is about this sure. dude who's like a hired gun kind of gangster guy. Yes, and um, he who, and- who it's pretty clear at the beginning he loves his job. And he doesn't seem to be too concerned about it. He's not worried about his job, the morality. Yeah, yeah, job. yeah. He likes shooting people and stuff. And he's, like, good at it. So he goes to, like, a nightclub, right? And uh, he's there to kill, like, somebody. And he accidentally shoots a gun off, like, right around a lady who's a singer. He shoots around her eyeballs. And then she can't use her eyeballs. I think he's, and it's not just that he hurts her per se. He's literally trying to protect her. He's like actually worried that she's going to get shot. He's trying to protect her, but then he also has to shoot his gun. Yeah, 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 yeah. He can't help but shoot this guy, or else he's going to get it. And that ends up uh, blinding her. It, the the flash goes off right in front of her eyes. She's blinded, 
And then he can't help himself but get to know her after she's blind. Now, that's an important point to keep in mind, y'all. Um, he forms this relationship with her basically because she's blind. Because she's seen his face. Yeah. If if he walked in and she could see, she would go out the other door. She's she, she's not trying to get to know the guy who killed all these people. Yeah, she's the singer he, at, the, at the nightclub that he goes to. And his whole thing is he's clearly motivated by guilt. He He's not thinking that they're going to be friends. He just goes to see her sing because he feels so terrible about what happened. Only as time goes on, he, they form yeah, a relationship. He forges a, a, he an emotion for to, her. Yeah, he, he starts to fall for yeah, her. Yeah, 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 yeah. So basically what, what happens is she needs surgery, right? And so what does he decide to do? What does he end up somewhere? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So you know, he has to do like this last job kind of thing. And uh, like get the surgery to get her out of there. They're they're going to like the United States or something, right? Like they're going somewhere else to get this surgery. Everybody wants to kill him. He's got to do this job, get this money. Well, yeah. So he's basically what happens is he goes to kill this uh, gangster guy, but the gangster guy is like a public. Yeah, figure. he's like a politician. And so the only other character we really know, other than the woman and Chow Yun Fat's character is uh, this Danny Lee character who's a cop, and he's sort of an unhinged cop. He's sort of like a, a loose cannon sort of cop. And so he's put, because he is a loose cannon, on this duty to protect this guy. And he's already gotten burned because he's trying. he's been trying to find the guy, the, the whoever killed all these people in the nightclub, yeah, yeah. which we know is Chow Yun-Fat. So he's also Yun-Fat, dressed suspiciously like Beetlejuice through a lot of the sequences of the movie. That's fair. That's fair. So, uh, so Chow Yun Fat takes out this guy, and this cop sees him. But the people who hired him to do it immediately betray Chow Yun Fat and try to have him killed. And so now, what's going on is the cop is trying to catch Chow Yun Fat, but, but the gangsters less... are trying to catch Chow Yun Fat too. And it's less because he wants to arrest him, though that's what he's saying, more because he kind of wants to protect him because he knows he could identify who hired him. Yeah. Uh, and then it just gets more and more complicated from there until, surprise, surprise, they're on the same team, basically. Yeah, and they're in a church and they're shooting everything. Meanwhile, Chow Yun-Fat has this handler who kind of betrays him but then feels really bad about it and tries to get him his money. And there's there's all these themes in this film about friendship yeah. and honor and sacrifice. It is You definitely such... see the DNA of the Le Samurai, like this whole yes, like yes, yes, un- yes, yes, yes. this code amongst these ne'er-do-wells of like honesty amongst thieves and like this like loyalty and money. It's a wild movie, man. It's definitely a crazy ride. It is all over the place. And it is a film. So I think one of the things to talk about here is um, it seems to me that Wu is uninterested in realism. Like one of the things we see in more and more action films is this desire for things to feel real, which is never really real. Right. Like, you you know, uh, you have those extremes like the Fast and the Furious movies where, the, you know, they're hooking up uh a wire to a car and swinging it from a cliff, right? Uh-huh. Like that exists. But in other action films, there's just like, well, the fighting, like, you know, what's really funny because it's not real, but there's the hint of reality is the John Woo films, right? Or not John Woo, uh, John Wick. Films. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John, John Wick is not realistic per se, but Keanu Reeves trains in Trigun. He like now knows how to do these gun things in real life so that he can bring a, a grounded sense of reality to the ridiculous action scenes that are the John Wick films. 
John Woo is not interested in that at yeah, all. He's no, not he's interested not, in how guns work. He's not interested in physics or grounding anything in anything. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything feels I, – I think the way to watch it and understand why that matters is everything is romantic and interpretive. Everything is aesthetic. It is an aesthetic film. And when you sense that and you accept that, then you can see the beauty of what's happening, that it's like the chaos of it and the intensity of it without having to make it like a fucking, uh, you know, a real environment. Yeah, and, and it loses the sense of dourness that you would imagine in these types of narrative sequences, right? Like it, it loses – uh, it, it, if you give yourself to the actual beauty of the choreography, then the entire oeuvre of the movie changes tone, I feel. And that's what makes them so fun, right? Like, that's what makes them so yeah. much, so engaging to me. And uh, that's what I thought about this movie. I found it to be very engaging. It was, like, super-duper fun movie. Despite all these themes of, like, redemption and, like, friends getting shot and all this other stuff and killed. And he's like, ah, honor, you know, like... Yeah, it's cool, but it's also fun for those choreographed moments. It's interesting because this was the first mil- f- film he kind of um, went his own way with. Like I said, he he had a falling out with his producer. Uh, I don't know actually if I said this. Did I say this on the episode or just to you? I think you might have said it on the episode, but go on. Repeat it. Yeah, so basically, John Woo, um, this was a follow-up to Better Tomorrow 2, and it kind of became its own thing because he had a falling out with... Uh, I, I don't know if I'm saying this right. Sue Hark, who uh, was one his sort of co-producer on A Better Tomorrow 2. And there was issues with filming and the film was too long and Hark didn't want to edit it. And Wu edited it. And um, Hark basically decided that uh, Wu had ruined A Better Tomorrow 2, which, by the way, Better Tomorrow 2 is great. So, you know, whatever. Uh, and so he was withholding funding like, you know, Wu was under contract, but then. Um, Hark began rejecting Wu's new ideas. So basically, this movie was partly funded by Chow Yun Fat. Chow Yun Fat, by this point, was already an established star, had a lot of money, was big bank in Hong Kong, not yet in America, obviously, but uh, uh, but was in Hong Kong, and so he co-funded this film. And so this was like the f- first movie that he sort of was out on his own. And they started production not really knowing what they were going to do because he had to change it to make it not be a better tomorrow three, basically. <laughs> uh, and, and so he went into filming with only a short treatment and, and the details sort of panned out while they were screening it. And hence why I think the influence of things like Mean Streets and Le Samurai and some of the other movies he's mentioned, even the Japanese film uh, Narazumono, he brings them up because he was actually thinking about them as they were trying to like <laughs> cobble this thing together on set, you know, like trying to figure out now what's so crazy about that is, I don't know how if you feel this way, way about it, but I feel like the film has a pretty engaging plot knowing now that they kind of made it up as they were going along. I think, right? I think that's what gives it that frenetic feeling as you're watching it that like, I mean, okay. If you compare it to like a bullet in the head, right? Like that is a wild and frenetic movie. This movie is frenetic in the same, like, almost anarchist kind of way, but it follows a much easier to follow trail of breadcrumbs. And uh, sure. I think given the nature of its writing, that had that had to be the way, like, they, this movie couldn't have ended up any other way, I feel, because right. they had to have a template. They had to. And it makes perfect sense that it sounds the way it does, you know? It's it's crazy, too, like his shooting style. Like, I'm just, you know, was looking at uh, 
Wikipedia a little bit for it, just so you guys know, there's actually a lot of great research on, on John Woo. And if, if this episode inspires you, like I highly recommend checking out some of the books on the Hong Kong uh, action uh, or even just Hong Kong film scene. And there's a few that are just specifically about John Woo. But one of the things I, I you know saw was like, the, the weird way that this film was was made, you know? So, for example, there's this great scene, the, the first scene where we see that this cop is his own kind of guy. He chases this arms dealer down and shoots him on a tram. Yeah, right? yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's like a big, dangerous thing. They only had three hours to do that whole sequence. <laughs> three hours. And if you know anything about filmmaking, you can't even set up in three hours, let alone do that, but they did it. Meanwhile, the action scene towards the end, there's a scene where they're at the uh, Handler's house and all these guys in white jumpsuits are coming. And it's sort of like the scene that kind of forges the relationship between uh, the cop Chai and, and, Chai Fett Fett. and the yeah, cop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that took 28 days. What? And it looks like it would take like a long time because it's like a bunch of people jumping out of stuff. Yep. And it's like yep. this whole choreographed like attack where they're kind of like worrying back to back running through yep. this like beachy kind of looking house, you know? And uh, you could tell that a lot of thought went into it. There's a lot. I mean, this is the thing with Chai and Fat movies is like, there has to be a lot of choreography because there are so many moments and we'll get to bullet in the head, which is even more. But there's so many moments where people have things exploding very close to them. Like people are sh- thrown off of things in explosions all the time. Um, I don't know if you guys know, it's hard to know like how much you have to explain, but you guys know what squibs are probably, which is yeah. like, the blood pack that explodes, or whatever. John Woo doesn't just use squibs. He uses a he lot uses, of squibs. And he uses explosive de- – like every time a bullet hits a solid object, it doesn't just go in. It explodes. Yeah, 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 It just explodes. Sure. And so these people are running around doing flips and shit like – and whatever and there's just explosions like teeny explosions everywhere which on their own wouldn't be that scary but when you're surrounded by them i'm just watching it going how did no one lose an eye like how did no one get hurt i mean maybe they did it we just don't know about it but it's crazy and and um uh again it's this interpretive thing that the chaos of it that the bullets are coming and that these people are so you know chalian fat's character is so intense that sometimes it just feels like bullets just slide off of him. he just moves and there's just you know and they're all and dressed in they're all shot but they're all dressed in these like big suits they all look like they're wearing sure. their dad's suit kind you know because it's like all these like huge flowy suits as was the style of the 90s that this is made you know it's just such a funny look man it's very distinct it's very distinct for its time and for what it is it's funny because I think the reception in the U.S. to the film is almost like this is a funny movie. Ooh. Do you think this is a funny movie? Absolutely not. Nothing funny about it except for funny bits that sneak in here and there. There's some parts that are downright Miltonian. Like when the dude comes through the door, his homeboy, after he got beat up getting his money. And he comes through the door and he's all like destroyed. Like his whole face is fucked up and like this whole gang shot him and all this crazy and his hands already hurt. And he comes in and he has the bag of money for Chalion Fat. And he he talks to him in a way that the redemption and the the apology is palpable. It's yeah. he's so leaden with this guilt, and then the consequent like uh, relief of actually giving the money to Chalion Fat. It's brutal, man. It's a brutal scene. It's just crazy to me too, like to think about the influence of this film. I mean, obviously, you you already named something. 
uh, it's one of the sources for Wu Tang Clan, and I and I don't want to play that down. Uh, if you listen to if you do listen to Cinema Stories Board on the Jackie Chan episodes, I, I talk about Wu Tang Clan, and I and I know that that can be a bummer for people because you know there's this feeling that maybe the attention that Wu Tang Clan has brought to uh, martial arts is is not always positive because people don't really know what they're talking about. Whatever, some 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 bitter bullshit that I don't support. <laughs> the reality is. Whatever is there in the foundations of Riz's thought, all of that stuff is good. Like you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah, my yeah, man yeah. has good taste and he knows a lot and he and he doesn't blow it off. He takes it seriously. So the fact that the killer is part of Wu Tang clan is definitely an important cultural touchstone. But let's not stop there. Have y'all ever heard of a man named Luke Bassan? <laughs> yeah, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Try to imagine Nikita or Leon without the killer. Because you, you you fucking can't. No, no. Or what about a little guy named Robert Rodriguez? Imagine <laughs> Mariachi or Desperado without fucking the killer. The killer. Yeah, for sure. It's not even possible. It's 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 just not, you know? Even like uh uh Hong Kong director Johnny Toe, you know, like things like that, you know, like it's there's so many I mean, shit, how many movies throughout the nineties just had that, you know, guns everywhere, guy walking in slow motion, explosions, 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 to the point where, you know, as much as I don't find this movie funny in any way, I started to find the copycats funny because they were just trying so hard to be John Yeah, Luke. yeah, yeah. They just wanted to be John And Luke. this whole Even, this whole juxtaposition of the slow motion with the action sequence, like that is yeah, that yeah. didn't happen before this. Not in this way, not in, in with this style. And again, if you haven't seen this movie, I can't encourage you enough. Ah, super fun. Go yeah. fucking get on it because it's so good. Um, I'm sure there's more to say. I, You know, John, there's a lot of um, animal imagery. You know, <laughs> yeah. there's doves, yeah. the cats. There's, you know, in Chinese culture, coming home to a cat sort of coming into the house is, I guess, considered kind of bad luck, you know, so... That's, you know, the, the cat shows up at the blind woman's house. You kind of know, like, oh, this is probably going to be bad. Uh, the doves seem to represent people's spirit. Doves always show up as people are getting killed, <laughs> you know, so that's that's a thing. And that's not just in his Hong Kong films. You know, if you pay attention to, like, Hard Target or Face Off, a lot of, lot of doves in those as well. He's into the doves. That's a thing. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and I think you could really uh, – I think – in, in another way, what this movie kicks off, for better or for worse, is the the realm of film fandom that is willing to look for symbolism in a movie that's mostly shooting and explosions. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, and I, I like, like that though. I like that as an epoch uh, yeah. in cinema. Like that's a cool I think some, thing. I think some people probably don't, only because. Like if the deepest you've gotten with your film enjoyment is the killer, then I would probably encourage you to check out a Truffaut film or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I, I I don't I don't I don't think it's fair to be like, yeah, man, I sat through Bullet in the Head of the Killer, so now I get art. Cinema. Yeah, like, no, no, that whatever. There's, there's but levels. the idea, there's levels to this. But but the idea that John Woo is doing a film that is a visceral, kinetic, exciting action film that stands up in my mind to any action film you can name and yet it has aesthetic choices thematic choices he literally talks about how the film's not a religious film but he uses the church because god welcomes everyone or you know oh this was taken from the samurai or, or i did this because of mean streets or oh the symbolism of the animals is this like before john woo how many successful action directors there probably were some who didn't 
break through. But successful action directors were talking about these this sort of symbolism or putting this kind of artful intentionality into their work. Not a lot. Not a lot, think. for sure. Definitely not a common thing. So in my mind, because of the, the way it's shot, the themes of it, the killer cop, the crime theme, the, the, the exposure of the Hong Kong triads, all that sort of stuff, this is a quintessential John Woo film. And if you haven't seen The Killer, you should see it. Yeah. Backed. I backed that 100%. Now we transition to a John Woo film that I, what I found is many people have not seen, even if they love John Woo, and that is Bullet in the Head. I'm going to say it. This movie is a lot more challenging for me. It's a lot. So it goes, it starts know. off at like a sock hop dance. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yes. And it's got, uh, I'm a believer by Neil Diamond playing, like, but a jazzy saxophone version of it. Oh, my goodness. And then it goes from that to beating up people on cars. And it's like a bunch of Asian greasers. And then they're gangsters. And then there's like a uh, working class, like, riot. Oh, my goodness. And then they're in Saigon. It's a lot, man. It's a lot of stuff in this. There's white people in there, and then there's like a lounge singer, and then an Asian man with a beard that looks suspiciously like Bad Michael to me, but that's okay. Because <laughs> there's a lot in here, man. Like, what are your thoughts when you saw this movie? Because I can tell you mine right now. I was not at all prepared for what happened in my eyeballs when I saw this movie. So I knew a little bit about this movie, but the people I knew who had talked to me about this film. Uh, described it as the first bad John Woo movie. That this was where John Woo had started to go off. And I I just accepted that as the truth, primarily because what we watched, right, is the full version of the film and not the American cut. So there is an American cut of the film that most people in this country had seen that boils this movie down to just the most exciting bits and cuts out almost all of the character stuff. Uh, and especially the stuff with him, with the one character who literally has the bullet in the head, thus making the title of the film seem entirely interpretive, which yeah, it is not. It, there's an so, actual bullet in the head in this movie. So a few years ago, y'all know, we've talked about it a little bit on the show. I used to work at a place called Broad Street Ministry, and I was their director of arts. And we had a guy come who was a John Woo obsessive. And he said that there was scenes missing from the Hong Kong version and there were scenes missing from the American version and that he had cut these together to make his own cut of bullet in the head and he wanted to show it. And I said, sure, why not? <laughs> so that's what we did. We screened bullet in the head in the sanctuary of Broad Street Ministry. Amazing. A fan cut of bullet in the head. Yep. And, uh, yeah. Uh, so that's how I saw the film and, uh, I'll say it's over long. I'll say that it's has aspects that are a little bit ridiculous. I'll say that John Woo's style of violence makes so much more sense for an assassin movie and so much less sense for a fucking war film. Uh, but that being said, I still think this is a really great movie. I think it is, it is a sign of things to come in that I think it's overly ambitious. Uh, a few things to say about the making of this film. This is another movie that was affected by his falling out with, uh, with Sue Hark. Yeah. And this was supposed to be a prequel to 
a better tomorrow that this would be the the foundation of the characters who were in a better tomorrow and then he had to postpone it because of the falling out and he didn't have the rights to a better tomorrow anymore and sue hark actually ended up making his own prequel that was a better tomorrow three which i hear is terrible uh and so then when he rewrote a lot of the script he was affected by the 1989 incident in tiananmen square which had weighed on him intensely partly because the killer came out in china in hong kong right after the tiananmen square incident in beijing wow and in fact the low when the killer first came out it wasn't a hit partly because people were so busy protesting what happened in beijing that uh that nobody was going to the movies so film ended up making its money back and doing actually pretty good but it had to stay in the theaters for a long time for that to happen uh but i think because it was so intimate and something that a lot of people in hong kong cared about uh he worked it into the movie and there are definitely sequences in the film that are very much about war that way yeah Uh, but clearly he's influenced by apocalypse now and um and other you know fucking uh vietnam war movies and so this is his vietnam war movie now you maybe ask yourself what does hong kong have to do with vietnam so this is what the movie is. The The beginning of the movie is very much a standard John Woo film, it, even if it's sort of like his uh, Once Upon a Time in America. You know, there are three young men. They're friends. They're deep friends for life. It's all about their friendship. They're very poor. They live on the edge. They're, they're connected to crime, but they're not criminals yet. And they we see us. What really amounts to a complicated montage. Yeah. It's not a full plot. It's basically it's a bunch telling of... the story that they're these carefree kind of not exactly grifter type people, but they're like they're they're subject to the whims of their own, you know, broken hearts. So they're really living on the edge and one of them falls in love and he wants to have a wedding and his friends want to give him the best wedding possible. And so one of the friends goes to borrow money from a loan shark to pay for the win. And the loan shark's kind of like a gangster guy. Like, he's connected yeah. to all these bad people. And uh, what happens is he goes and gets the money on the night of the wedding. And as he's heading back with this money in his pocket, this rival gang is like, we know you saw that guy. They hit him in the head with a bottle, and he's bleeding all over the place, but he manages to keep the money, and he beats up like the people. And then he gets to the wedding, and he gives the money, and this is the kind of story that we're beginning with. Yeah, and, and, and I think all of this stuff is very endearing to me, this idea of this is what it's like to be poor in Hong Kong, especially because by the time this movie's coming out in the 90s, Hong Kong is beginning to be thought of as one of the more affluent places in the world. Yeah. And so the fact that John Woo's like, hey, I'm from here. Guess what? This is what life was yeah. like. Who are- Normal <laughs> kids had to do crazy shit just to get by. Like, that's what it is. It's you supposed know, that's, to be in, like, so this begins in, like, 1965, right? Like, that's, right. that's the, which explains the weird sock hoppy James Dean worship, like, just like any kid, you know what I mean? In the 60s, that's what it was. So, um, when the groom finds out that his friend was attacked, he cannot take it. It's unacceptable. And so they go to beat this guy up. Only things go too far and they end up killing him. Yeah, they end up killing the so, leader of the rival gang. And then all the cops are looking for them now. And, like, dude just got married. Like, homeboy just walked out of his wedding. And then when the dude's like, yeah, that's what happened. They're like, oh, let's get him. And now he's out in the streets doing the gangbanger stuff. With no guns, by the way. With, like, a bunch of, like, poles and stuff and, like, chains. So they end up killing the leader of this bad of this rival gang, 
what ends up happening is that all the gang mates of that gang, who's now the dead gang guy, is they're all looking for these guys, and all the cops are looking for this trio of dudes because everyone knows that they're a crew themselves. So then they're like, well, we got to run. And so they flee to Vietnam, and, and what they end up doing is they're going to run contraband into Vietnam. Uh, yeah, That's what they're, they're going to be like is, smugglers. Is, yeah, and so they, they're going to smuggle this one time, get this big payoff, and, and hide in Vietnam. Of course, Vietnam is way more chaotic than they realize, and they're almost killed, and all of the goods are destroyed. So they have no prospects. They're in a foreign country. There are no prospects. There's a war going on. They don't understand what's happening. They get immediately into a complicated situation with a singer from Vietnam. From, from Hong, Hong Kong, Kong who's yeah. trapped in Vietnam. They want to rescue her, but they also want to rob the guy who has her so that they have some money to start their lives yeah, with. Yeah, the dude has like and, a lot of gold for some reason, like in a in a and, machine gun bullet box. You know? And even this part feels very John Woo because yeah. they're, you know, it's three or four individuals dealing with an army of gangsters. All this is very John Woo. Yeah. The part we, we want to make sure you understand, though, is then they escape into the jungles of vietnam and that's where john Wu starts his vietnam war movie. oh my god that's where and it, it really doesn't starts. happen until halfway through the movie oh yeah this is a long long film and a lot sometimes a long film you're like why is this movie so long this film you're like well to tell this story i don't know what you could have cut maybe some of the prison camp stuff maybe maybe but that's but even it. that is like really you're gonna cut that like there's so much in there right so so basically what happens is the, the homies, and they got a new friend that looks like Bad Michael, and they got the singer who's, like, shot in the stomach. They get away from the nightclub, and now they're in the jungles of Vietnam, and they've got this box of gold. And, like, one of the homies, like, loves the gold, while the other two dudes are just like, well, we got to get out of here. So then they get on a boat, and then they're on the river, and, like, the Viet Cong are all shooting at them. And then the one dude doesn't want to get rid of the thing, and then the... the the, the singer lady dies and they float her in the river, her little dead body. And like, dude, and then they get like caught by the Viet Cong. So they're, they're getting tortured. Then they get saved by ba- apparently bad Michael. Yeah. But then as they're trying to escape, um, the guy with the money is really afraid of getting caught and his friend is shot and freaking out. And he ends up shooting him in the head and escaping with the money. Meanwhile, uh, the, other friend is sort of lost in vietnam a little bit and then when he comes back he 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 wakes up with monks he gets saved by a gang of monks so he discovers that handsome man handsome half chinese man is now all melty and his friend was shot in the head and now suffers from insane like you know like brain migraine pain. yeah so he's addicted to heroin and he murders people for 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 heroin money drug money. yeah 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 and he's still so got he the to, bullet in his head the bullet's still in his head so he kills his friend and then goes back to hong kong to get revenge on the other friend who who shot this guy in the head Dude, and when he kills his, and then there's a giant action scene when he him. kills his hobie John Woo uses the biggest squib of all time. It must have been like the most gigantic blood squib because he shoots him and the dude's whole back like explodes like and there's like blood everywhere. It's insane. It is fucking crazy. So then he goes back to Hong Kong and he finds out that the dude who uh, shot his homie in the head for the money is now like elevated to the leader of this bad guy group over there. But they're like the kind of variety of gang that wears neckties. 
and like sits around a table. Oh, I don't think this is a gang. This is a this is a a legitimate business. But then all these people who are running legit legitimate business used to be probably criminals. Yeah, gangsters. Yeah, I don't know. And then like there's cars that fight each other. I don't. What the fuck, man? This movie is insane. By the time, so he, what it is is nostalgia film, then brief action film. Then war movie though John Woo style war movie like when I when I say it's John Woo style y'all, there'll be like a hillside where a bunch of people are coming down and they're shooting machine guns, so then one of our heroes will just do a backflip over a log, just flip over a log, the log will magically stop all these bullets, which is magic not just because some of those bullets would get through the log, but because the way John Woo portrays bullets these bullets are basically explosive right and then he'll jump back over the log and murder all 20 people with one swipe of his gun yeah and then Again, like did... all of this works really well in the in the gangster movie but in a war movie you're like what is going on you can't be yeah. doing these crazy things you've got these like war. grenades going off and then like whole barrages of bad guys just go flying through the air and like exploding and all this other stuff man it's and then the white people. This is yeah. there are literally points where a like there's even grenades in the scene in the when they're um, stealing the gold from the gangster. Yeah, there's, what I love there's about grenades John, what, that are in the love, shape of cigars. Well, what I love about John Woo is when the grenades go off, it's actually a smaller explosion than when anyone shoots a shotgun. In John Woo's world, if you shoot a shotgun at a wall. That wall is now gone. Yeah, it, it just explodes, explodes a thousand pieces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then if a grenade goes off directly next to you, you just do a flip and then you're okay. <laughs> like that's – it doesn't make any sense. And normally, again, we just praise the killer up and down. Normally, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't need to make sense. And in this movie, it's not that it needs to make sense. I've just never seen that kind of interpretive violence in the midst of a war. Yeah. It's so weird to see it in a war. It you know, really like just because jarring. we're so used to more realism when it comes to portraying war, which don't get me wrong, I understand the realism I'm thinking of is actually just a stage as anything John Woo was doing. And that's probably part of the helpful part of this movie is to keep in mind John Woo has his own style. Whatever you're thinking of as realistic war violence is not realistic. It's just not. You can't actually portray what things are like uh, in, a, in a film and have it be realistic. It's just not going to exist. But John Woo is so beyond even pretending that it's a little jarring at times. Yeah. And, and in a film where there's some really goofy, silly, funny humor at the beginning of this movie. And then towards the end of the movie, there's some super intense emotional and mental torture yeah. they literally force these guys to shoot american soldiers and the, the scenes where the they're like losing their shit where they're like starting to go crazy from having to kill these soldiers their performances are so fucking real. yeah it was so like oh my god they're really like not like they're really selling this right yeah now. yeah they're like going nuts they're whole mugging the whole time and like the 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 Viet Cong forced them to shoot the American soldiers that are tied up, and they forced to shoot them in the face while they're looking at them. And it's just like, man, this is a lot. This is a lot to digest, even as a war movie. You know, it's it. But I think that's worth saying is that like the parts that are the nostalgia film are fully that. The parts that are the gangster film are fully that. The part that is the war movie is fully that. Even though I'm saying like his style of portraying violence and portraying battle is different. Um, all of that harsh prison 
stuff it's it reminds me of deer hunter it reminds me of apocalypse now it reminds me of platoon like it's all unapologetic and and john woo is not a sentimental director even though the whole point of the film is friendship and sentimentality you know yeah he's not going to pull the punches on his own characters no i he like really puts them through it and doesn't give a fuck and in in both movies every sentiment of like romantic uh attachment ends in someone dying and it's like right. it, it's it's right. just funny how it's like not sentimental sentimentality you know what i mean like right like there's definitely a love for bullets but every woman that falls in love with any of the characters in these movies either goes blind or dies just saying that's why that's how it went down so i don't know dour worldview dour yeah (laughs) and yet i just think it's really good i actually think it's really good i'm saying a lot of things that seem harsh on it and you know you could compare it to something like a masterpiece like the deer hunter you know it's not that it's not even though parts of it remind me of that film it's not the deer hunter no and and yet i think a lot of the movie works i think it's hard because the introduction is very fast and i think at first that's frustrating but i think eventually it makes sense yeah i think the vietnam stuff is interesting i think the prison the camp stuff is maybe a little further than it needs to go same with the junkie stuff the junkie stuff is a lot it's like whoa oh boy yeah 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 yeah. It, it is actually like seriously like why is this in the movie Yeah, very and, heavy and, handed and, yeah yeah uh oh man so and you know how long was the cut that you watched the film two two hours and like 20 minutes so yeah that's on the two that's a two to set the i guess that's a i'm bad at math but that's the 145 is yeah, that yeah, is? yeah yeah 145 yeah. version so the original film is a full three hours cool. it is a full three Holy hours shit. and um eventually it got cut down and and the original version doesn't exist anywhere no you can't see it no matter what you do you can't see it so um you know it is what it is i i, I think uh there are parts that could still go even in this shorter version i think um but man i think the only part that feels and you tell me what you think about this the only part that starts to feel where i'm like starting to get a little tired not of the movie but of like like okay we could kind of wrap this up is actually the end which is for me the most traditional john boo thing the whole film goes through all these things these movements and then ends and then ends with the most john woo part the most like yeah it's just two guys trying to kill each other for revenge you know that's what it is at the end and uh and I felt like that was, in the end, the least interesting part of the movie for me. Uh, I would say that the least interesting part, or at least the biggest lag, was the whole, uh, the characterization of the relationship between Bad Michael and the singer. Because that whole thing is like, oh, what the sure. fuck are yes, you even yes, talking yes, about? Because yes, yes. like, they go from this, like, oh, he was her protector and she was his love, to this, like, they almost don't know each other by the end of, like, her life in the movie. And it just it, that whole sequence that they take the time to like show that this bad gangster in Saigon made her a junkie and all this other stuff like none of that even plays into the story when you realize like oh yeah she like isn't down with with bad Michael but is instead down with like the other three dudes that came there from Hong Kong they're like we're gonna take you back to Hong Kong it's so I'm assuming that's I, I wouldn't be surprised if some of the censorship happened. I'm assuming some of the censorship happened around that part of the movie. Like some of the oh, stuff yeah. that got cut out. 
You know what I mean? Because it's that part doesn't make sense a lot. Uh, but it was so fast for me that I, it didn't bum me out. It was just like it was quick, and then we moved on. Whereas the uh, towards the end, it just starts to be like a lot in a film that has so many ex- action set pieces. It's weird how by the end I'm like, oh, so we're still doing action stuff. Right? Like, <laughs> oh, we're just... still in a John Woo movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and again, not that it's not great. I actually think the end is great in and of itself. It's just in a movie like this, it just started to wear me out a little bit. Yeah. It just started to feel like a lot, which is not meant to be a heavy critique. You should see this movie, actually. If you like John Woo, at least, you should see this movie. I think it's worth seeing. But uh, but I will say, if, if if you start to get a little worn out by the end, I, I get that. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you, man. It, it got to be a lot. It got to be a lot. I mean, it was a lot from the beginning, though, honestly. I mean, there's just so much in there, you know what I mean? I love the part where they're fucking greasers fighting on the cars. I thought that whole part was so great. I, I loved it. And I loved how they kept alternating between actual brutal fight things that happen in a fight and, and then, then people dancing. doing, like, backflips. Yeah. yeah, it looked like dancing. It was, like, weird, like, so and, but then funny. they cut it with, like, them actually at a sock hop and, like, dressed like James. Oh, D. totally. So, yes. And all this happens during the credits. By the way, the credits are still yeah, playing. Yeah, it's an intro. Yeah. It's an intro. Oh, yeah, my yeah, God. Yeah. What a movie. What a movie. That's all I'm saying. I, it is his most epic film. I think he was really reaching for it. And honestly, I would sit through the three-hour version if I could find it just to see how it's different. But uh, but is it his best movie? I mean, I really think that's The Killer. Yeah. I just think it's The Killer. No, the Killer is, killer is killers, from movie. what I know, that The Killer is definitely good. I mean, I have to rewatch Hard Boiled, I think, and I need to watch uh, Better Tomorrow and all that stuff. But Killer is awesome. I love The Killer like in all the non-irony that I can muster to express that. You know, It's, it's truly an epic movie. Yeah. Agreed. So, I hope you guys uh, enjoyed this discussion, and I hope you are a John Woo fan. And if for some reason you listen to this whole thing and you're not a John Woo fan, hey, yo, you should watch some John Woo movies. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially if you're into this whole, like, if if you like anything from the mariachi to John Wick to whatever that gung fu movie was that what's his, that Christian Bale was in. Remember that? I, uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a future. It's a future one, you know. Uh, whatever it is, all this stuff is, I think, rooted in John Woo. Yeah, so, I would agree. Like John Woo definitely is the progenitor of a lot of tropes that got passed along in the DNA of all the action movies that you've loved since the '90s. So, you know, in the spirit of never kicking your grandfather in the nuts, I would suggest watching John Woo if you're not uh, acquainted with it, but do love like action movies as we know them today. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, hey, thanks for listening. Uh, feel free to check us out uh, on Cinepunks.com. You can follow Cinepunks on Twitter, and uh, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, you can follow Josh on Twitter at Fatboy. You can follow me at Twitter on Twitter at Liam Rules, R-U-L-Z. You know, you could just follow Cinepunks, though. We're not really that stoked on Twitter. It's, it's just really a thing. Kind of yeah, no, but it's but, cool. You know, whatever. But, we're, but if you want to, that's fine. We're stoked on love- you. We're stoked on you. That's the truth. We are. 
And the thing that would help us out the most is if you got on iTunes and gave us a rating and a review. For whatever reason, that affects your visibility on there. And I'd rather us uh, move up in the charts and have people notice that we exist. So <laughs> head on over, toss us that rating and review. We'd really appreciate it. And, you know, word of mouth, just tell a friend about us and, and about all the great shows on uh, the Cinepunks Network. We got so many great things and we'd love for you to check it out. So, hey, thanks for being here and uh, keep watching John Woo movies. And we'll talk to you guys later. Thank you so much. Smoke bomb. Can anyone hear us? This is Trey Lawson. And I'm James Hickson. Anyone can hear this broadcast. We need your help. We've been kidnapped and imprisoned in a tomb by this creepy old undertaker named Mr. Gravely. And he's forcing us to review his collection of Marvel horror comics. Stuff like Tomb of Dracula. Werewolf by Night. Man-Thing. Ghost Rider. And so much more. If you can hear this, please contact our families. Tell them we can be found at... You can find James and Trey every other Wednesday at the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. See you there, Tomb Believers. <laughs> Do you like spooky movies? Hair-raising tales. Insightful criticism. Judgmental hot takes. Then you're going to love Horror Business, the horror podcast on the Cinepunks Podcast Network dedicated to all things weird and spooky. My name is Leo Dong. And I'm Justin Lore. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great, or maybe not great. Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror Business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products.